Hi, this is Dr. Tisha Monteith from the University of Miami. I'm here to introduce a CME program called An In-Depth Overview of CGRP Inhibitors and Therapeutic Implementation to Improve Patient Outcomes. The first objective is to understand the symptoms and clinical features of migraine and discuss the immunologic and pathogenic mechanisms of CGRP. Our second objective is to analyze safety, efficacy, and tolerability of data that is emerging for CGRP inhibitors as well as for CGRP monoclonal antibodies for the treatment of migraine. Lastly, we would like to implement novel, correction, I need to do that again. Lastly, we would like to discuss the implementation of novel CGRP inhibitors into patient-specific treatment strategies to improve outcomes in patients with migraine. First, I want to look at uh, migraine epidemiology and impact. The most important thing to understand is migraine is very common. Migraine is the third most prevalent disorder worldwide. Migraine is the first most disabling disorder under patients under age 50 and is the sixth most disabling overall. It's two to three times more prevalent in women than men. It peaks in prevalence in both sexes between ages 18 to 44 years of age, and the rate of transformation from episodic migraine to chronic migraine is approximately 2.5% per year. Because of all this, migraine is expensive and taxes the healthcare system. And it's associated with lost productivity costs as well as healthcare costs estimated to be as high as 36 billion annually in the US alone. The International Headache Disorders Classification is now in its third edition, which was last published in 2018, exactly 30 years after its first edition, encephalalgia. I invite you to look at the website itself, but uh, recent updates include a better differentiation of migraine with aura, as well as um, being able to differentiate between transient ischemic attacks, which is very useful. In addition, there are subtypes of migraine with aura, including brainstem aura, in which many patients have typical aura symptoms as well. This is, moves away from prior diagnosis of Basler-type migraine. The episodic syndromes that may be associated with migraine is beyond the scope of this talk, but it's also an important update. So according to the classification, Migraine is diagnosed as having at least two of the following symptoms, unilateral location, pulsation, moderate to severe pain, aggravation by or avoidance of routine physical activities, and at least one of the following, including nausea and vomiting, or photophobia and phonophobia. Of course, no other secondary causes should be associated with the headache Migraine with aura is at least one fully reversible symptom without motor symptoms that would be associated with the diagnosis of hemiplegic migraine. This includes visual, sensory, speech, or language dysfunction. Even though aura symptoms typically range between five minutes to 60 minutes, it's not uncommon for patients to have aura symptoms persisting to greater than 60 minutes. 
leading to erroneous diagnosis of sometimes ischemic stroke. Chronic migraine is defined as headache greater than 15 headache days per month. Headache should occur for at least four hours for three months at a time, and eight of those headaches days should meet criteria for migraine. Chronic migraine is far more disabling and costly than episodic migraine and important to diagnose. Medication overuse headache is commonly associated with chronic migraine. Patients have greater than 15 days of acute treatment, and this includes simple analgesics or a combination of medications or triptans or opiates for 10 days or more. It's often a feature that headache worsens over time, but it's not necessary for the diagnosis. So if we think about migraine biology, migraine is a chronic neurologic disorder of the brain with episodic manifestations of headache, but also sensory perceptual disturbances, gastrointestinal symptoms, but another but a number of other manifestations, including emotional changes, cognitive disturbances, that can be equally as disabling. Migraine is the result of an interplay between environmental factors, genetics, and epigenetics, as well as clinical factors. These factors include attack frequency, severity, triggers, and comorbidities that may influence variable individual susceptibility and quality of life. Migraine can be characterized as a state of brain or as a brain state with widespread hypersensitivity. The pathological hallmark of migraine pain is activation of the trigeminal vascular system. Migraine is extremely complex disorder. Recent work has shown that CGRP is a strong vasodilator and neuropeptide release from activated trigeminal sensory nerves along with other inflammatory meteors mediators important for the pathophysiology of migraine. So if we think about the clinical features of migraine, there are a number of phases because migraine is more than just a headache. The earliest symptoms include the premonitory symptoms. Before the headache begins, patients may experience mood changes, fatigue, cognitive changes, uh, food cravings, repetitive yawning, and stiff neck. The stiff neck could be so severe that some patients may think that headache is coming from their neck or may be present, most commonly visual, or if it's going to be present. The headache phase sometimes starts off mild, but patients can awake with severe pain. There's throbbing, nausea, photophobia, phonophobia, osmophobia, and then there's the postural phase as well as the resolution. So, as we mentioned, Migraine can be considered a state of hypersensitivity. Both the peripheral nervous system and the central nervous system is thought to be sensitized. In this slide, the pathways of sensitization are shown. Sensitized peripheral neurons are found in the trigeminal ganglion and, activate, and activation may result in skin sensitivity known as cutaneous allodynia. Sensitized central neurons are found in the trigeminal cervical complex, which project to the thalamus, relaying pain signals to higher brain centers. 
there are a number of risk factors associated with migraine progression. A high headache frequency, poor treatment optimization, obesity, conditions like asthma, depression, anxiety, snoring, and medication overuse have been identified. The thought is that these conditions may be associated with persistent activation of the trigeminal system, evidenced by cutaneous allodynia, and lead to headache progression. There are different ways to think about the pathophysiology of migraine. As we mentioned, there's an interplay between genes, the environment, but as well as individual metabolism, hormones, and certain drugs. There are different levels structurally speaking, structural and functional changes that occur in migraine, that is the hypothalamic activation, there's alteration in thalamocortical circuits, and altered brain connectivity. The acute attack may be associated with uh, brainstem activation as seen in imaging studies, and the aura phase, the underlying pathophysiology is thought to be cortical spreading depolarization. There are a number of neuroinflammatory mediators that are, are associated with acute migraine attacks, as mentioned, including CGRP and PATCAP. The attacks can vary, and some of that is thought to be perhaps on a genetic level, as well as uh, different uh, changes in individual anatomy, including cervical nerve anatomy, hormonal states, etc. And as we think about important therapeutic advances, there's different ways to target migraine. The target for neuromodulation may be the cortex or the thalamus. The target for thalamic peptides and, and modulators include the hypothalamus. Injections can be done in the upper cervical nerves to target the upper cervical nerves. The release of CGRP and PAPCAP targeting small molecule antagonists as well as antibodies will be discussed and is the focus of this talk. Calcitonin gene-related peptide is a neuropeptide belonging to the family of the calcitonin family. The receptor subtypes include CLR and RAMP. What's important to note is that CGRP receptors are distributed widely throughout the peripheral and central nervous system and in areas important for migraine. CGRP receptors are located both inside and outside of the blood-brain barrier, specifically located in the trigeminal ganglion, the cerebral and meningeal vasculature, brainstem, and the thalamus. CGRP receptors are expressed on numerous cell types as well, vascular smooth muscle cells, neurons, glial cells, and mast cells. Delving in closer to the CGRP receptor, it's a seven transmembrane-bound G-protein coupled receptor that comp comprises two subunits. One is CLR, or the calcitonin receptor-like receptor. Two is the receptor activity-modifying protein known as RAMP1. The combination of these two subunits is what yields the CGRP receptor. Calcitonin gene-related peptide, or CGRP, is a neuropeptide, as we mentioned, 
produced in the central and peripheral neurons that play a role in migraine pathophysiology. CGRP blood levels are increased during acute migraine attacks. CGRP infusion triggers migraine-like attacks. CGRP levels normalize with relief of headache with treatments such as sumatriptan. And if you look at this chart, it essentially is showing you that during acute migraine attacks, CGRP is elevated, and post-treatment of with triptans, CGRP levels normalize to that similar to controls. You don't see as dramatic of responses with VIP and substance P. So CGRP is released in the trigeminal nerve endings, and subsequent bindings of CGRP receptors is thought to trigger multiple responses, eventually leading to nociceptive trigeminal neuron sensitization. Simulation of nociceptive trigeminal neurons may play may relay pain signals through the brainstem into the brain, ultimately leading to the experience of migraine pain. There are central effects as well. CGRP may modulate pain transmission and central sensitization through the peptide receptor distribution in pain uh, pathways. So what is the history of the CGRP drug pipeline? The first drug is Olcagepant, which is a receptor antagonist, the first receptor antagonist effective for acute migraine attacks, but limited by poor oral absorption. This drug was administered intravenously. There were a number of other CGRP small molecule receptor antagonists that for unknown reasons, the pipeline was halted. Telcagepant showed efficacy in double-blind parallel group studies for acute migraine, similar to zolmatriptan. However, daily use for three months resulted in abnormal LFTs in a small number of subjects, and the drug pipeline was terminated. Atojapant is the first receptor antagonist showing efficacy for migraine prevention in phase two and phase three trials yet to be published at the date of this presentation. Remegipant and Ubrojapant both show positive phase three studies and are submitted to the FDA. We'll discuss those in greater detail. So comparing small molecule GPANs with large molecule monoclonal antibodies, you can see the differences in size. Small molecules target specificity is lower and higher for monoclonal antibodies. Small molecules are cleared by the liver and kidney. For monoclonal antibodies, the clearance is reticuloendothelial system. Small molecules are oral versus monoclonal antibodies that are subcutaneous or intravenous. Small molecules can potentially cross the blood-brain barrier. Monoclonal antibodies are probably too large to cross the blood-brain barrier. However, there may be some vulnerable areas. The half-lives are minutes to hours for small molecules and 
weeks for, mo for monoclonal antibodies. There's no immunogenicity for small molecules, and there's a potential for immunogenicity with monoclonal antibodies. So it's not clear how the monoclonal antibodies work for migraine. There has been some experiments using feminazumab, one of the monoclonal antibodies, which suggests that the monoclonal antibody blocks CGRP-dependent activation of A-delta high threshold pathway. So a general overview of the monoclonal antibodies, evidence shows that they prevent episodic migraine, chronic migraine, and galconazumab also prevents episodic cluster headache. The onset of action is quick, where the separation from placebo is seen within one week. There's also clinically meaningful response by the first month. Unprecedented responder rates of greater than 75%. Safety and tolerability is similar to placebo. Across the clinical trials, there has been a decrease in acute medication use, improvement in impact, reduction in disability, and improvement in quality of life. There also seems to be a benefit independent of depression and medication overuse. And most importantly, there's a cumulative functional benefit and tolerability that has been shown in long-term open-label studies. This chart compares the four different monoclonal antibodies to CGRP or its receptor. Arenamab is the only monoclonal antibody that targets the CGRP receptor. The three other monoclonal antibodies to CGRP, feminazumab, galconazumab, and eptanazumab, target the ligand. Bioavailability differs across monoclonal antibodies, and it's 100% in eptanazumab due to its intravenous route of administration. Half-lives vary, but are about one month. And as mentioned, currently to date, there are three FDA-approved monoclonal antibodies, and eptanazumab is under evaluation by the FDA. So this slide looks more closely at the results the phase three results for episodic migraine and comparing the primary endpoints, reduction in monthly migraine days. And as you can see, whether we look at Strive, Regain, Halo, or Promise, all primary endpoints were met across the trials. With a difference of approximately somewhere between two and three days. For chronic migraine, similar primary endpoints were also met. 
this is a busy slide showing preventive effects of CGRP antibodies and episodic migraine randomized control trials. And as you can see, the 50% responder rates vary, as well as the mean decrease in mean monthly migraine days. Unfortunately, it's impossible to compare these clinical trials due to methodological differences. And it's been suggested that sustained reduction in individual patients may provide a novel patient-centric, clinically meaningful endpoint for future clinical trials to better assess efficacy. In terms of safety considerations of monoclonal antibodies to CGRP or its receptor, there are a number of things to keep in mind. The clinical trial data show adverse events similar to placebo across monoclonal antibodies. Safety data is unavailable for disorders that were, of course, excluded from the clinical trials. Side effects, most common side effects include injection site reactions, but importantly, this did not result in high amounts of discontinuation, at least seen in the clinical trials. Hypersensitivity reaction, allergic reactions were also noted. For arenamab, 1% to 3% may experience constipation and at times with serious complications. Theoretical risks of wound healing and blocking vasodilatory effects of CGRP, thus protective mechanisms for cerebral and, and cardiac ischemia are unknown and require further exploration, although there's no indication based on clinical trials that this is an issue. Effects on fetus are unknown, therefore patients that want to become pregnant should avoid CGRP monoclonal antibodies Real-world studies and open-label data will be useful to further assess the efficacy and long-term safety. This is a picture of a patient that received arenamab and did quite well on the drug, but after three months developed an allergic reaction. So this is a typical thing that you could see and may not be at the site of the actual injection. So looking at eptanazumab clinical trial data, and the migraine responder rates over 1 to 12 weeks. This study randomized 616 patients, and the primary outcome, greater than 75% responder rate, was met, as well as the, great, the greater than 50% responder rate. The second slide shows patients that received placebo versus eptanazumab 300 versus 100. And if you look at patients experiencing migraine on any given day during baseline, and then at day one, you can see a significant reduction in patients that received eptanazumab 300 and 100s suggesting that there may at least be a significant benefit as early as day one after receiving the study drug. 
Moving on to studies looking at the small molecule CGRP receptor antagonists, Remegipant and Ubrojipant, phase three studies, both studies were positive. Specifically, if you look at pain freedom at two hours post-dose, approximately 20% of patients were completely pain-free at two hours. In terms of freedom from most bothersome symptom, that was about 40% across both studies. And the data, again, suggests that targeting CGRP is an effective way to treat migraine. Safety and tolerability was comparable to placebo, including no significant increases in LFTs. Some general considerations about the GPANs, the small molecules, is that they were designed specifically for acute treatment, but, may, but atojapant may have a preventive role. Liver toxicity seen with telkajapant earlier does not appear to be a class effect. The likelihood of medication overuse may be low given statistically significant reductions in acute medication use during trials. And there does not appear to be any vasoconstrictive side effects, which is a limitation of the trip counts due to the mechanisms. So as the last part of our program, we want to look at patient-specific treatment strategies to improve outcomes in patients with migraine. Our first case is a patient, William, who comes to us in clinic and says, I can no longer focus with these horrific headaches. He's 36 and has ADHD and had a prior concussion in high school while playing football. He was diagnosed with migraine at age 20. And has had more difficult migraine for a few years. His current mean migraine days is nine per month. His triggers are barometric pressure change, stress, heavy exertion, and bright lights. He's tried a number of preventants, including magnesium, venlafaxine. He's currently on topiramate, which is causing cognitive impairment, which he believes is exacerbating his ADHD. Acute treatments he's tried in the past include sumatriptan, oxycodone, and acetaminophen. He's currently using ibuprofen. He does not miss days at work but is unable to complete his tasks due to acute migraine attacks that are quite common. He recently received a promotion and is working longer hours due to his increase in responsibilities. His significant disability and impact associated with his migraine. So in having a conversation with William, we discussed the importance of reducing his mean monthly migraine days and his overall disability and to improve his acute and preventive treatment strategies. While having conversations with patients, we like to identify potential risk factors that may be associated with chronic migraine. In William's case, he had a remote history of a concussion 
he's had a lifestyle change which may not rise to the level of a traumatic life event, but it's certainly a change in his typical routine. He has an inadequate response to acute treatments. There are a number of assessment tools that can be used to assess migraine disability, such as a migraine diary, which comes in electronic versions as well as apps that may be useful to improve communication, headache impact tests, and amidus are commonly used in headache clinics and was used for William, which was helpful in determining that he's had a significant impact and significant disability associated with his migraine. In terms of his treatment options, there are non-pharmacological interventions as well as pharmacological interventions, beta blockers, anticonvulsants, Botox injections, as well as the new CGRP monoclonal antibodies to the receptor peptides or preventive options, acute treatments, triptans, dihydrogotamine, ergotamine, neuroleptics, nonsteroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. He's currently using nonsteroidal anti-inflammatory treatment, he may benefit from another triptan, he's only tried sumatriptan, and may have a better benefit from a different oral form or perhaps an injectable or nasal formulation. In terms of non-pharmacological interventions, lifestyle factors are hugely important, so we want to make sure we have a conversation about sleep and how is he managing his stress. There are a number of devices that can be considered as part of his overall treatment strategy, as well as some psychological interventions. I want to briefly discuss the concept of shared decision-making, which is a way to assess patients' values, goals, and preferences. There are many things that uh, patients like William may discuss uh, while in clinic with concerns about traditional migraine treatments, such as I don't want it to change my mood, what are the side effects, what if I forget to take it, will I have withdrawal symptoms, what is the cost, am I going to gain weight, is it going to zonk me out, these types of things are tend to be a major concern. It's important to have an integrated treatment approach based on shared decision making, and that starts with taking a detailed history and to always think about secondary disorders in the back of our minds. We can rule out secondary disorders by completing a physical examination, which is focused on headache or causes of headache, such as evaluating the TMJ joint, assessing for papilledema, or other atypical findings on the neurological examination. We mentioned assessing risk factors for chronic migraine, which sometimes includes medication overuse, poor sleep, anxiety, and depression, as well as carefully listening to patients' concerns, preferences, and goals, and identifying high-quality treatments based on side effect profile, comorbidities, and potential effectiveness. This slide compares some of the common side effects associated with traditional preventive 
therapies, oral preventive therapies with CGRP monoclonal antibodies for episodic and chronic migraine. As you can see here, weight gain, changes in mood, drowsiness, fatigue, sedation, cognitive impairment, dizziness, and teratogenicity is not, well, we, we're not sure about teratogenicity for the CGRP monoclonal antibodies, but we can say that based at least on clinical trial data, these commonly reported side effects do not seem to be a concern with CGRP monoclonal antibodies. The onset of action is rapid for CGRP monoclonal antibodies, and because of oral preventives often need to be titrated, the efficacy or onset of action tends to be slow from weeks to months. The frequency of intake is monthly or quarterly with the CGRP monoclonal antibodies versus daily, which can result in poor adherence or compliance. The specific the specificity for target is high for CGRP monoclonal antibodies and is low for oral preventive therapies. So these are just some common comparisons when we have our discussions with our patients. So William may benefit from changing his acute treatment strategy, in which it might mean changing his uh, abortive therapy of ibuprofen to another natural anti-inflammatory, such as naproxen, changing his, or adding on a triptan, such as rizotriptan, zolmatriptan, any of the seven triptans, or the route of administration, and counseling him about lifestyle interventions. We want to see him back in three months to determine how he's benefiting from his treatment approach. Jenny comes in, and she tells us that I no longer get breaks between my migraine attacks since starting her new job. Jenny is 42. She has comorbid depression, anxiety, and back pain. She carries a diagnosis of migraine since age seven. She has had chronic migraine for six years and has a mean monthly migraine days of approximately 22 headache days per month. Some of her triggers include menses, stress, lack of sleep. She's tried a number of prior preventive therapies, including divalproex sodium, which caused weight gain and was not effective, amitriptyline, which caused fatigue. And she stopped this after one week. She's currently on topiramate and is having some cognitive impairment. Propranolol was not effective, but she keeps on this for hypertension. In terms of acute treatment, she's also tried sumatriptan, butabotol-containing medications, ibuprofen, and is currently on rizotriptan and naproxen. She's treating headaches 16 days out of the month, so there's an element of medication overuse. She feels more depressed and anxious these days and has irregular sleep because of shift work. She's currently using birth control pills and has a Midas of 45 and a HIT-6 of 65, suggesting significant disability and impact. And the goals of her care including include uh, reduction in migraine days, reduction in medication overuse, disability, and, and getting on a regimen that has a better tolerability. 
So if we look closer at the MIDAS, these are the typical uh, questions that we want to know to fully assess how migraine is impacting quality of life. And these are the questions for HIP-6. It's important to have some type of headache screener or assessment because that way you're able to assess treatment response as well as overall disability. Jenny was also put on a CGRP monoclonal antibody. She was advised to have a discussion with her employer about shift work. And there was a consideration to change her acute treatment strategy as well. What are the indications for CGRP inhibitors? Patients with migraine may benefit from preventive treatments if they have greater than four migraine attacks per month, if they have disabling symptoms associated with their attacks, such as status migranosis, hemiplegic migraine, severe vertigo, profound uh, emesis, prolonged aura, if there's an impairment in function and reduced disability, such as for Jenny and William, there's ineffective acute treatment response, medication overuse or contraindications or unwanted side effects to abortive medications, patient preference, contraindications to standard oral preventive treatments or comorbid conditions that might get in the way. There's a history of lack of response of about two months on optimal dosing or poor tolerability on prior preventive therapies. There's a history of non-adherence to oral medications What is the criteria for treatment continuation? That includes 50% reduction in frequency of headache or migraine, and sometimes less, significant decrease in attack duration as defined by the patient, significant decrease in attack severity as defined by the patient, improved response to acute treatments, reduction in migraine-related disability and improvements in functioning in important areas of life, improvement in health-related quality of life, psychological distress, anxiety, depression, and insomnia. And there should be a consideration of at least three months and possibly more. And this is based on the American Headache Society position statement that I invite you to take a look at. So this slide I found very interesting. Basically, we need to better understand those that respond to anti-CGRP antibodies and non-responders. And there could be a number of reasons for a non-response. One reason could be that there's insufficient blockade. A second reason could be that there's sufficient blockade, but other peptides may activate the CGRP receptor. A third possibility is that CGRP may be sufficiently blocked but migraine is being signaled by an, a different peptide. In conclusion, CGRP inhibition for migraine is an important new advance in the treatment of migraine as CGRP is implicated in the pathophysiology of migraine. Monoclonal antibodies to CGRP and its receptor are specific for migraine, 
given monthly or quarterly, well tolerated and safe, and start to work within one to four weeks, reduce acute medication use while improving quality of life, open label and real world studies are needed to carefully monitor for adverse events and the long term efficacy. Emerging evidence suggests that newer generation small molecule receptor antagonists to CGRP appear to be safe and effective non-vasoconstrictive option. Thank you for listening.